Now, the minimum wage uh, for domestic workers um, is, is a, in the major metropolitan areas is between 11 rand 89 and 13 rand 5 cents per hour, depending on whether the domestic worker is employed part time or full time. And, um, you know, oftentimes these domestic workers uh, would um, be bre- breadwinners in their homes. And uh, is this enough? Uh, can you actually just have someone uh, be employed, be in your employee when you can? afford to? Uh, Is it a case of just assisting those who are unemployed or is it a service that um, deserves minimum fair wage and what is minimum fair wage and joining us on the line right now is Advocate uh, Rems Ramashia joining us on the line. Good afternoon and welcome to um, Lifetime Live. Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, Let's talk about what is regarded as a fair wage when it comes to domestic work and I'm assuming that domestic work would also include your gardening services Yes, yes, it would. Uh, I think one needs to look at this from the context of what we have inherited as a democracy. Mm -hmm. That um, we have inherited poverty, unemployment and inequality stemming from the apartheid system. And uh, the apartheid system had labor reserves in the homelands where they would bring people in, uh, in the urban areas, and they artificially controlled the demand supply curve, mm-hmm. which made labor uh, very cheap. And in the domestic industry, as it were, what tended to happen was that domestic workers were not even regarded as workers, mm. hence the title helper. Uh-huh. Uh, my helper this, my helper that. So what we sought to do uh, as government at that stage was to make sure that domestic work is recognized as a sector and that domestic workers are recognized as workers like any other worker. So so what the government did then was to pass the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, which entitled us to establish what was called a sectoral determination, determining conditions of service and minimum uh, pay uh, for domestic workers to recognize the role that they play in the economy uh, because in many instances couples are able to work and earn two salaries mm. because there is a domestic worker who actually come and assist them. So the exploitative nature of this work was such that a domestic worker would probably start at 5 o'clock in the morning, the first one to wake up, bath the kids, cook the breakfast, etc. And then in the evening, she will be the last to go to bed because we'd also have to wash up the dishes, etc., etc. So we just thought that it would be unfair that in a democracy that domestic workers are still treated in the way that they were treated in the apartheid system. So the context of minimum wage then was in order to recognize that. What we then did further was to let them be covered within the Unemployment Insurance Act so that when they lose employment, like any other person, they mm. can go to uh, the UIF you know, and claim uh, whatever they would have contributed in that uh, uh, insurance scheme. So I'm, in talking about minimum uh, wage, mm-hmm. it's a very contentious subject, ne? Yeah. Uh, because uh, there are ideological issues there are people who believe in a deregulated labor market because they say any regulation in the labor market, whether it's domestic work or any other, 
create rigidities and it makes it difficult for employers to create employment. But the other end of the spectrum are those who believe in a regulated labor market because of acknowledging the fact that the relationship between an employer and an employee is inherently unequal. Mm. And domestic workers are worse off because normally it's one employer, one worker. So they can't even collectively bargain. It's difficult to unionize them. So their level of vulnerability lends them in a situation where those who employ them can just pay them whatever they want and expose them to the most uh, worst forms of uh, exploitation. So... So, so at that stage, we thought that it would be important that we set a certain minimum standards mm. uh, in order to, to protect them. And when we did that, obviously, there were a number of uh, views expressed. Some were saying, if you put a minimum wage, a household that cannot afford that minimum wage would lay off the domestic worker. But then we argued that if you can afford one, why employ one Uh, and that what you could do though if you cannot afford the minimum wage why keep the domestic worker for 10 hours in your household Mm. rather than pay them half the minimum wage and let them work half the time so that the other half time they can give it to another employer and that that way you know it it, it becomes a, a fair way uh, to to approach it, so 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 what happened then? I, I would like to correct the uh, editorial typo in the article that I wrote because the the rate then was five hundred cents per month, not five thousand as appears uh, okay. on the article, and that was around two thousand and one, two thousand and two. And what I'm arguing is that if we didn't do that then the level of exploitation would have continued. Mm. But as it were now, domestic workers are earning higher than what is now being proposed as the national minimum wage. And again, in the introduction of the national minimum wage, there are people who are arguing that it should not be introduced because introducing the minimum wage would make employers lay off workers. So I'm basically saying this is a deja vu. We have been there before, yeah. and the same arguments were stated then. So so what I'm arguing in my article is to say that if we've got 76% of workers who are not unionized, and uh, that the report of the national minimum wage is suggesting that if it's proposed at 3,500 rands, mm-hmm. that 6.6 million workers who are currently earning below that will benefit from this. But then this is coming in the context of the Marikana uh, issue where workers were claiming a minimum wage of 12500 when there was that massacre there. And so some of the unionists are saying in order to protect the legacy of those who died in Marikana, the minimum wage should be 12500 across the board. So if you analyze that argument, then the question is, if we pay 12500 as minimum, because if there's a minimum wage, no one is allowed to pay below that. And in the context where we are promoting small and medium enterprises, 
My question is, how many small and medium enterprises would be able to pay 12500 Very few of them. And as such, this would cause a displacement effect. And those who are arguing for 12500 I have got a lot of sympathy with them because they say that 12500 is a living wage and that 3500 is not a living wage. And they are correct. But the question is to say, do we wait until everybody can pay a minimum wage in order to rescue 6.6 million people who are earning below 3500 Or is it better to say, since those people are not unionized and there's no one who's fighting for them, mm. and it will take a long time before they're unionized and they're able to fight for a minimum wage, which it's like if if it's at twelve thousand five hundred, which they call a living wage, that waiting for that basically say those three six point six million workers should suffer the rejection of the current proposed minimum wage of three thousand five hundred. And I'm saying common sense for me and logic says if by having a minimum wage of three thousand five hundred would rescue 6.6 million people who are earning below that, then let the government go ahead and adopt that minimum wage and rescue the 6.6 million. And that this is not something that we should argue on the basis of our ideological affiliation. Yeah, but advocate, how do we then enforce this um, as law? Um, because uh, you you quoting stuff that you've written in the past and, and conversations that you've started recently, uh, but there seems to be a bit of reluctance. Um, people are still called um, domestic uh, help as as opposed to domestic workers and that to date it, it's still not requir- regarded and and uh, you know uh, viewed as work so how do we and en- then ensure that domestic workers are empowered in knowing what their rights are and and that they argue because many of them would say uh, you know never mind the government i'm willing to take uh, whatever it is that you can offer and that you know further creates that environment of abuse yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right, and you are raising a very important issue around enforcement. So so the, the first key issue, I think, is about changing the culture of work. And uh, what the sectoral determination was meant to do was basically to change that culture, basically to say somebody that you did not regard as a worker, but just as a helper. Mm-hmm. The law recognizes that person as a worker. And the law has proclaimed certain minimum standards uh, within which they should work and by which they should be remunerated. So so what we did then was to also uh, meet domestic workers and distribute pamphlets in, in different places written in accessible language, basically telling them, what their rights are, and also introducing the CCMA to them to indicate that if they have got problems of employers who do not observe the minimum wage and standards, Mm -hmm. that they could go to the CCMA. And then the Labor Department also have labor centers where domestic workers who have got problems can actually go and report, and there are inspectors that are sent um, to go and assist them. It's not a perfect 
situation. Yeah. Uh, but the, I think the intention basically was to first of all uh, curb exploitation, and then secondly create a culture whereby if you employ a domestic worker and you read the the pamphlet that explains uh, the sexual determination and so on, that your conscience should be able to say, hang on, I may have been paying below this because I didn't know what other people are paying mm. and that the government has now set a rate and that if you decide to pay below that, you basically are yourself undermining the value of the work that the domestic worker is doing for you. And there is a limit to what the law can do. Uh, and obviously where there is non-compliance, uh, the law should step in. But I think in this instance, the idea was basically to, to create a culture whereby a consciousness is aroused within anyone who employs domestic worker to say, this person is actually a worker. Mm-hmm. I can't let them work 15 hours because you yourself would not want to be made to work for some, you know, long hours and be uh, paid pittance. So the, the issue you're raising is very important with regard to, to enforcement. So what we're hoping for is that there would be voluntary adherence to the law, like yeah. when we are required to pay taxes, you know, when we are required to pay stick ticket, et cetera, et cetera. The law can do so much. Indeed. But in the end, I'm glad you, you made that example. I'm glad you made that example, um, uh, advocate, that, you know, when you have to pay um, your tickets, uh, surely there's someone that teaches you how to drive and you actually also um, are proved as as a certified driver. Uh, Mm. Is there a a way in which government, as we formalize the sector, um, that there could be training programs that are uh, are provided by government, that as we formalize the sector, that domestic workers themselves regard themselves as, as service offerers? Yeah, so so there has been some advocacy work done in order to raise that awareness uh, in relation to to them. And what I heard at some stage was that the the CCMA is clogged with uh, domestic uh, workers' cases. And I have had anecdotal uh, evidence from people who say that, uh, you know, where they would say, use township language that domestic worker kind of thing mm. because everybody rights are you know in that kind of way so 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 i think um because this sector is also beginning to to organize and there are uh, organizations like black Fresh and so on that make it their duty to make sure that domestic workers are aware you know of their rights so that they are able to to enforce that yeah uh, but my point really is that if you employ a domestic worker and you value the work that she does for you, why do you need government to force you to, to pay do the right thing? What is reasonable? But there's also you know, and treat that person as a worker in a manner that you also would like to be treated. I think the bottom line is that we need to build a society whereby mm-hmm. people are able to treat others, you know, as fellow human beings and understand that we have inherited poverty mm. and inequality and unemployment and that to deal with all those problems in a human rights culture, we really have to 
make sure that we respect the human rights of others. Advocate, I'm going to need your comment in, in a minute that um, there's also instances where domestic worker is a, a, a sole breadwinner and mm-hmm. works for a, a high-profile, uh, powerful person like the case of uh, the alleged abuse of um, Duduzi Manana, uh, former deputy minister. What then happens when you know the, the employer violates the domestic worker and, and dangles the carrot of, of, of buying um, themselves out of uh, out of trouble can the law take over yeah so uh so so theoretically we we should accept that everybody is well before the law mm. and uh, everybody should be treated as equal so a domestic worker and a president should be treated the same way uh at least in terms of our constitution uh, but people who enforce all these rights and obligations are human. Mm. And uh, that is why there are instances where there are lapses. And uh, in high-profile cases, then you would see whatever has been reported, which I'm not at liberty to comment about uh, because I do not know the fact that it would be unethical. But I think they are using it as an example. Yeah, I am. Because it is, it is in the public, yes, spotlight. Yes. But, but do you see that um, even in that instance, the report indicates that the domestic worker actually approached the law enforcement agents, which demonstrates that uh, the, the level at which domestic workers are aware that they have the protection of the law mm. is heightened, that they know that despite their vulnerability, that the law does protect them. So, so, so I think the mere fact that that domestic worker knew that uh, she could go to law enforcement agent in itself, um, I think it's something to celebrate because if the law did not protect domestic workers and people who are vulnerable, that would have been the end of that situation, and we would not even have known what happened. You know, what we know as snippets, but. You know, there is evidence that there has been a situation where a domestic actually approached the law enforcement agents. So I think if the media and everybody else could assist in this process of making sure that uh, people are aware of their human rights, you know, mm. like we've got human rights days and freedom yeah. days. Yeah, all so right. Ad- advocate, I'm going to ask that, that. You, you, you just hold for us, please. Uh, we'll continue this conversation. We have to take uh, the new news headlines with Usile Sako. At SAFM Radio and at Positive GP on Twitter. All right, uh, welcome to Lifetime Live with me, Chris Alda Dudumash, as we continue the conversation uh, with uh, advocate um, Rams uh, Ramashia as an advocate of the High Court uh, in private practice. We're talking about uh, domestic work. Um, the, uh, the current minimum wage, is it fair? Um, is it realistic? And we ask you that question. Give us a call. Uh, you can call us on 0891 or we welcome your WhatsApp uh, voice 
voice notes on 0614-104-107. And uh, you can also just join us on uh, um, social media. We are both on Twitter and Facebook at SAFM Radio. And you can hashtag us on SAFM Lifetime Live. And we also take your SMSs on 40938, charged at 150. Continuing the conversation about uh, domestic workers and minimum wage. And and advocate, there's a lot of um, concerns of people who uh, who have domestic workers um, as, as, as their employees. And, you know, when it comes to labor issues, um, should um, perhaps they break um, some of their stuff in their household, uh, be it an iron at last, uh, what, how does one go about in, in effecting, um, uh, should we even call it punishment? Yeah, so, so all of us at workplaces um, are governed by uh, certain specific regulations, including uh, breakages, theft, etc., mm. etc. So domestic workers are not any different in that regard. So the sectoral determination basically indicates that unless the employer can prove negligence, let's say a domestic worker bends you mm-hmm. blouse or skirt or something. I was afraid uh, to I use mean, the word negligence because, you know, it's very easy for people to assume negligence and sometimes your iron is the cheapest of cheap. It doesn't really, <laughs> it's not a, a friendly tool for the domestic mm. worker um, to do their work effectively. Yeah, so, so if the problem is your iron, then you cannot claim that the person using it is negligent. Mm. So the iron is a tool of trade, mm. and the tool of trade should be able to do the trade. That's it. So it's like giving a, a, a driver uh, a car that does not function, and then it stops along the way, and then you say the driver was negligent. You can't do that. Mm. So the law does protect uh, domestic workers from that kind of abuse. But the earlier point that the point that you made earlier is instructive in that whether the domestic worker knows what yeah. rights she has in relation to that. Yeah. But the, the, the law does even specify that there is a limit to how much an employer can deduct from the wage of the domestic worker in order to replace whatever the domestic worker may have broken. And also that, that should have been as a result of mixing. So where is an accident which anyone could make then it should it should not it should, it is not fair that the employer, because of the vulnerability of the domestic worker, just decides okay I'm going to uh, deduct hundred rand you know from your wages, and I would like to indicate that if there are any domestic workers listening, that under those circumstances and when we are in doubt, please do go to the labour centre. Uh, they they are all over uh, the, the place. Uh, look for one, and then go and report uh, the treatment that you are, you are, is meted against you. And then also, if it's issues relating to unfair labor practice, uh, the CCMA has a section that deals specifically with uh, matters relating to, to domestic workers. Mm. So this protection is there. The question is those that the law seeks to protect are aware of it and whether they are using it. Anecdotal evidence suggests that uh, they do, uh, that the majority of them uh, do use those services. And I think since the implementation of the sectoral determination, there has been some improvement uh, in the lot of domestic workers. Maybe not yeah. uh, good enough, but certainly 
uh, there is some improvement. And I and guess those who, evidence, uh, those who break the law as well uh, must be equally uh, made away. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Advocate, for joining us. That's Advocate Rems Ramashia, who is uh, an advocate of the High Court in private practice and former Director General of the Department of Labor. As we were talking about, is it fair, this uh, current minimum wage for domestic work, or is it exploitation? And uh, you, you give us your call uh, and do you share with us uh, in the different uh, social media platforms and WhatsApp notes. Uh, the conversation continue, but uh, we're wrapping the conversation with Advocate right now. Coming up next is our words of wisdom. This one has been long coming. I know many of you have been complaining that uh, you keep promising us things that are not happening. He's in studio, Dr. John Tibane, up next. Right now, you don't know. That's Jill Scott.